the honorable members. Now is the time for silenced prayer or meditation. Thank you. May she check. Thank you, honorable members. I would like to remind the delegate permanent delegate and the, the delegate that the rules apply and the process for the hybrid sitting. Honorable delegate, before we proceed, I would like you to make a following announcement. Delegate who are physical in the chamber must connect to the visual platform as well as insert their cards to register the chamber system. Also members must switch off the sound on their gadget and ensure that microphone on their gadget are muted and remain muted at all time. Use the floor microphone wear face mask as all time occupy seat marking for the peoples at all time maintain social distance a distance of at least one and half meters from each other Delegate must switch off their videos if they want to speak, address the chair. Any delegate who wishes to speak must use raise hands function. All delegates must participate in the discussion through the chat room. Honorable members, I want to announce that there will be no notice or motion without notice in terms of the council rules 247. Honorable delegates, in accordance with council rule 2471, there will be no notice of motion or motion without notice. Honorable members, now we are proceeding to the questions session. Honorable delegate, before we proceed to the question one, I would like you to take this opportunity to welcome the Minister of Higher Education, Science and Innovation, and the Deputy Minister of Base Education to the House. Furthermore, I would like to make the following remarks. The time for reply by the ministers to a question is five minutes. 
only four supplement questions are allowed per question. A member who ask, who has asked the initial question will be the first to be afforded an opportunity to ask and supplement the question. The time for asking supplement, uh, supplement a question is two minutes. The time for reply to supplementary question is four minutes. The supplementary question must emanate from the initial question. Question to Minister of Higher Education, Science and Innovation. I now call on the Honorable Minister of the Higher Education, Science and Innovation to respond to the question number 186 asked by the Honorable A.D. Malika for five minutes for responding to question. I've been informed that Honorable Malika will standing in for Honorable Ngwezi for the last following up question. Honorable members, Honorable Malika as a follow-up question is two minutes. And Minister, please respond for four minutes. Uh, thank you, uh, House Chairperson. This is Deputy Minister Puti uh, Manamela. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'm standing in for, uh, for the Minister. Uh, is it fine if I can proceed with my questions? I've also requested the table to allow me to keep my video off because my uh, network connectivity is not, uh, is not fine. With your permission, Chairperson. Go ahead, Minister. You can go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, just one, one, one second. Uh, and I'm trying to navigate through the questions. Uh, we were informed that you're going to be starting with basic education, but just one second. I want that. No, no, sir, ready now. 
I was I was ready chair, uh, but we're just informed that we're we're going to start with uh, with with basic education. Uh, so I'm trying to navigate through all these uh, 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 this these questions. This is question one seven eight. Question 186. Oh, okay, that's fine. Let me just get to question 186. Um, apologies for this uh, uh, house share. Okay. Chief, uh, can you assist? How long must I wait for the high? House chair, uh, thank you very much, House Chair. Uh, Honorable Deputy Minister Manamela indicated that he they received conflicting messages. In this instance, I will suggest that we start with basic education. Dr. Mahaule, who's been uh, in the yeah. house. So, yeah. so I would suggest that if Dr. Mahaule, Deputy Minister, if if we can can start with basic education, that will be in order to make that change, uh, House Chair. Thanks. Uh, Honorable House Chair, it's Minister Nzumande here. My apologies to you. Uh, maybe the deputy minister would have, we had thought that we we're going to share these questions because I was going to arrive a bit late. I'm happy to start with the first question. And then uh, if we don't mind, we will actually be able to share with the deputy minister. On question 186, with your permission, can I go ahead? House chair. House chair. Yes, Chief. Yeah, no, the, the minister is here and is ready, and we can proceed. I think I will, will no longer uh, stick to the earlier yes. suggestion. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, uh, Chief Whip, Honorable Minister. Yes. The question uh, that, uh, we are going to ask is the question of number one eighty six asked by Honorable A.G. Malika, and uh, your time is five minutes to respond. And I've been informed that Honorable Malika will stand in for Honorable Ngwezi for the last follow-up question. Honorable Malika, as a follow-up uh, question, she's going to be having two minutes. 
and Honorable Minister, please respond for four minutes on the question that has been asked by Honorable Malika. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, uh, House Chair. Yes. In the cases of incidences of violence in the universities, I want to say I reported and registered with relevant officers of universities and the South African police services. As a matter of fact, the crime statistics that are released by the Minister of Police, they also include uh, statistics about uh, our, our universities, as well as our Tibet colleges. Universities in particular have a duty to protect their students and staff, as well as our Tibet colleges. And in 2020, I'm pleased to say that the Department of Higher Education and Training published its policy framework to, ad to address gender-based violence in the post-school education and training system. The framework is intended to, amongst other things, uh, compel institutions to create an enabling environment to ensure the effective implementation of the policy framework actions and programs, promote the safety of all students and staff by putting in place comprehensive prevention programs, and provide for or refer GPV victims to comprehensive specialized support and other assistance. Universities and Tibet colleges were requested to submit to the department their policies relating to sexual harassment and gender-based violence and harm in their institutions, amongst others to establish whether institutions are adequately resourced to deal with GPV, cases reported and unreported where they are able to, to pick up, also to deal with the safety of students and staff, and also reports on the extent of support they are giving to in such instances, as well as psychosocial support to survivors of GPV. I would also like to say, Chair, very quickly that as the Department of Higher Education and Training, we have our own institution called Higher Health, which acts as support in promoting health and wellness in all of our institutions. As a matter of fact, we now even have Omahan Banendra, who are actually going from place to place, especially in the rural areas, to provide support to help uh, for Hi, health and wellness. Hi, Kasi Girl. I also want you to indicate that higher health has also been capacitated to be able to respond effectively to incidences of gender-based violence. And as a matter of fact, despite the enormity of the program, but the work of higher health has been so well recognized even outside the country, such that even, for instance, in the rest of the continent, we are being approached by the higher education sector as to assist them in establishing a, a similar uh, mechanisms. And on our side as a department, as I have said, we do request at all times that we are provided with updates on the extent to which this framework to deal with GPV in particular is being implemented. Thank you very much, uh, House Chairperson.
Thanks very much, uh, Minister. Uh, Honorable Malika. Uh, thank you, Jose. Honorable Minister, is there any, any plan on consideration by the department in collaboration with the university management and the Department of Police to undertake a comprehensive audit on the state of security and safety in our universities. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable House Chair, uh, I do wish to say that uh, the department always engages with the South African Police Service insofar as these matters are concerned. But in particular, we encourage our individual institutions to actually do this. But I'm also very pleased in, in, in answering this question to also indicate that I have actually asked the University of Zululand to conduct a sector-wide, university-wide research project to establish the situation with relating to safety and security to our camp on our campuses, and what are the threats to the safety and security, such that that research also, I hope, will be able to identify systemic issues and weaknesses that are there, and also to identify best practice in terms of some institutions on how we are actually dealing with this matter. I am hoping that. By the middle of next year, we will at least be, be having a preliminary report so that we can get a comprehensive picture over and above, of course, the information that we are getting now from institutions on how they are implementing uh, this, this policy. Uh, thank you, and thanks for, the, for that question from uh, Honorable Member. Thanks very much, uh, Honorable Minister. The follow-up question, uh, that have been asked by Mr. M. Nana. Uh, well, thanks very much, Halshar, and good afternoon, Minister. Well, Minister, I, I do take your point that as the department, you have put in place mechanisms such as higher health, uh, but you have also made it a requirement to, to varsities that from time to time, they should submit reports to you as to what they're doing about, about this sketch. Uh, it's, it, it's commendable, Minister, I must say. And, and as you will know, that our young women continue to enjoy an onslaught uh, of gender-based violence in our, in, in, in our campuses. And this is especially true in, 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 in higher education institutions. Campus, campus crime is undeniably a serious issue of concern for all current university students. Parents of prospective students just like myself, campus law enforcement personnel, and the campus community as a whole. Uh, you will, I'm sure, agree with me, Minister, that the biggest problem uh, faced in these campuses is under reporting of these serious crimes. And this is a big problem. Now, 
you will recall in my initial opening remarks, I said, I, I, I take your point about the mechanisms that we have put in place as, as, as the department and what is required of universities. But I'm sure you'll agree with me, Minister. Uh, some of these plans are, are very good on paper. Uh, and, the biggest, and the biggest challenge becomes the transmitting or communicating of these plans to, to the end users. In other words, are there any awareness programs to ensure the ease of reporting of these violent crimes on campuses, as well as to ensure that uh, all the students feel remember, more safe in our campuses? Remember what Thank I've you. said, that how many minutes do you have? Honorable Minister, can you respond? Yes, thank you very much, House Chair, and, and thanks for that question. Although the member compressed the question towards the end of his input. I would like to say that, firstly, we need to understand this, that what we are dealing with in our institutions is actually part of a wider societal problem. I think it's important that we actually understand that, that universities and Tibet colleges and other institutions are not islands. They are part of communities that are often infested with crime. That is why one of the things that we encourage our institutions to do is to develop relationships with local communities in which their campuses are located. Because that goes a long way in actually assisting and also to ensure that institutions also are part of as much as is possible in some respects servicing the communities. The most recent example is that a number of universities, for instance, have been producing their own sanitizers and they have been distributing surplus of this to communities just as part of building the relationship if we are to actually deal with this particular problem. Also, the other measures that we are, we are implementing is actually to push and invest more in student accommodation. And I'm still going to be making much more announcements, for instance, on partnerships between government and the private sector to increase student accommodation so that we can be able to ensure also that our students are in accommodation that is safe and they are not actually uh, victims of, of crime. Apart from the fact that the framework for dealing with gender-based violence in particular also includes issues of general safety and security awareness in our campus. And if you look at our policy framework that I'm talking about, we expect all our institutions to be guided by, they do actually emphasize this matter. And we do ask for reports now and again on such matters. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The next follow-up question, asked by Honorable Mr. S. Zandel Zandamela. Remember, you've got two minutes, Honorable Member. Oh, thanks, House Chair. <coughs> Sorry. Thanks, House Chair. Uh, Minister, incidents of violence tend to be more prevalent among females than the male students in institutions of higher learning, even with stronger gender policies and programs in place. Which, more, which method do we, will be taken to ensure that policies pertaining to the safety and security of female students are actually implemented? Uh, thank you, House Chair. 
Thanks, uh, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. Uh, let me just say that uh, I, the way I'm understanding the question from the Honourable Member uh, from the EFF uh, has got more to do with what the police are doing. On our side, on our side, as the department, we actually encourage our institutions to have relations with local police stations as well as police command where they actually have campuses. And all our institutions are doing that. But also all our institutions, by the way, they've got private security because it's not always possible to be able to get the police as soon as you want them. And that also a relationship is built between that private security as well as with subs in order to be able to manage incidents of crime in our institutions. That is how I can actually say, but insofar as what the police are doing generally about this, that's a matter that will have to be asked to the Minister of Police generally. On our side as a department, we work and we seek to build relations together with the, the, the police. As a matter of fact, by the way, now and again, we do meet with the top police brass in Swane at the headquarters to actually discuss how do we actually handle issues of crime, including gender-based violence in our sector. That is one of the things that, as a minister, we actually do at least once every year in terms of interacting with the police to look at how we deal with these matters generally at the level of a framework and a strategy. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. And the follow-up question uh, is asked by Honorable MSAD Malika. Thank you, Chair. And thank you, Honorable Minister, for your response to the question. Honorable Minister, I noticed that there are some universities that have not undertaken safety audits. What is the what is your department doing to assist these universities? Thank you. Thanks, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much for the question, Honorable Member. I would really appreciate that in instances where the Honorable Member may be aware of, where certain institutions have actually not been able to do what they are supposed to do, that those be, be drawn to my attention. Insofar as we are concerned and the reports that we have is that all our institutions, and even, by the way, in interacting with University of South Africa, which represents uh, the university vice chancellors, as well as the college principals organization, which represents our Tibet college principals, we do interact with them and get reports that all of them actually do have a framework and strategies to translate uh, our security uh, strategy as well as safety and security measures that needs to be taken in our own campuses. And honorable members, if they have got particular institutions that they are concerned with, I invite them to actually approach my office and we'll be able to take those matters up. Otherwise, thank you very much for the follow-up question, Honorable Member. Thank you, Minister. 
Honorable Members, Cecilia Kuba, who are a minister. Uh, the question that uh, is following is uh, question number 172, asked by 178, asked by Honorable DC Christians. One seven eight, Minister. Yes, thank you very much, uh, House Chair, and thanks to Honourable Christians for the for the question. I am aware that, unfortunately, the report of the ministerial task team on reviewing of UNISA was leaked. I do wish to say, by the way, that I strongly condemn this because I think that was very reckless and irresponsible for whoever leaked that report to do so, because it does not assist us in terms of the normal processes that we normally follow. However, what I wish to say is that, much as I cannot be able to respond right now in terms of some of the issues that may be asked in public about the report, I am studying the report as of now. And once I've finished studying the report, Honorable House Chair and Honorable Member, I will then be able first step to engage the University of South Africa, its council in particular, around the findings of that report and its recommendations. After which, of course, I will also be more than happy to come to the NCOP and present such a report. The aim, by the way, of the review was to look at the operating model of UNISA as an institution and to review some of the challenges that it is facing. One of the things I'm concerned about, for instance, is the, is the pass rate uh, of the university, which is very low. Uh, those are some of the things that I'd ask the ministerial task team to actually look at. But I'm studying the report, Honorable House Chair, and I will respond well. I will respond once I have finished studying the report. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Honorable Member. The next follow-up question is going to be asked by Honorable Baha. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. And um, Minister, we, we understand the fact that um, the report must be studied and that um, you then have to, to follow uh, whatever you think should be the way forward out of it. However, um, the report, in, in whatever way that it came out, um, it has fundamental issues that um, it, it, it highlights. Now, would you consider an intervention like is mentioned in the report? Um, if not, why? And um, but also look at the task team that would investigate and review the UNISA structure as contained in the leaked report. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. Uh, thank you, House Chair, and thanks to, to Honourable Member for the follow-up question. As I have indicated, at this point in time, I am not in a position to respond to any specific issues that are being raised 
in the report of the ministerial task team. As I am comprehensively studying the report, and I also want them to comprehensively respond to it and be able to actually engage the minister. Well, what I also, by the way, need to say is that for the benefit of the, of the House and for the benefit of the honorable member, we don't just deal with these issues of governance and other challenges in universities only when problems arise. As from 2015, my department has actually set up a system of monitoring university governance through what we call council self-assessments and the annual reports, so that we are not caught unawares as much as is possible. And these self-assessment reports that get given to us, as well as the annual reports, also give us a sense of being able to get intelligence ahead of time to assess if there are any threats to governance and stability to institutions that we actually have. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. Thanks very much, Honorable Member, uh, uh, Minister. The next follow-up question is going to be asked by Honorable Ndomeni. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Minister, for your elaboration response. I'm sure the minister will acknowledge that whether this leaked report is true or not, it has caused reputational damage to not only the University of South Africa, but also entire higher education sector in South Africa. This therefore brings into sharp focus a question. Is there any structured and ongoing monitoring of the governance quality of teaching and standard of qualification of the higher education sector by the department and its relevant agencies? If not, why not? If so, what are the relevant details? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, uh, House Chair, and thanks for the follow-up question. As I have said, it is very unfortunate that this report has been leaked. But I wouldn't go to the extent of saying that this has caused reputational damage because in the first instance, it is us, it is myself as the minister, in seeing some of the problems in the institution that I actually commissioned the report. Maybe there would have been reputational damage if there, was, there were leaks about things that are going on there that we were not looking but we are looking into, I initiated this particular report. I don't also think that it's giving any reputational damage necessarily to the sector as a whole. Secondly, as I have said in, in the answer before, we do have ongoing mechanisms that we put in place from 2015 for ongoing monitoring of governance uh, in our own institutions. <clears throat> and also the law, by the allows me where there are problems to be able to appoint an independent assessor to investigate and even to put institutions under administration where I feel that things are really getting out of hand. Lastly, then what I want to say, insofar as quality assurance, all our universities, all our universities, their programs are accredited by the Council for Higher Education, which is an independent body that I have set up, which reports to the minister, but also engages with institutions, 
but independently is able to evaluate and assess the quality of the programs that are offered and registers those programs in all the universities. And I am fairly happy with the work that the Council for Higher Education is doing in order to ensure that our universities are offered are offering properly quality assured programs. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thanks, um, Honorable Minister. Next follow-up question asked by Mr. M.P. Tibrain. Uh, thank you, Honorable House Chair. Uh, Minister, regarding the reputational damage that the previous speaker has mentioned just now, after the leaked report, UNISA was branded as a degree factory under, the, under a corrupt network of employees and officials. So in that regard, will there be similar investigations at other institutions of higher education to prevent this? And what measures will your department put in place to ensure that this type of fraud will not happen at other universities now and in the future? Thank you. Thanks, Honorable uh, Member. Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable Tibray, as I have said, I am studying the report. And I'm glad that the report has been finished. Of course, unfortunately, it's been leaked. I am going to be responding to all the issues that are raised in the report, including the allegations uh, of that UNISA is just becoming a degree factory and so on. I am, however, aware that senior management and some other academics at UNISA have been responding already to some of these and, and questioning whether such allegations are fair or not. But I am not into that as the minister. I am going to look carefully at the report and there is not a single issue that I'm going to turn a blind eye on to be able then to comprehensively respond to the ministerial task team and also to study its recommendations as to what it has been done. And as I have said, the moment I finish reviewing the report, studying the report, sorry, studying rather than reviewing it, I will then, my first step will be to go and engage the University Council at UNISA. Thank you very much. Thank Honorable Minister. And the next follow-up question is Honorable MSM O. Mukause. Uh, member Makausi is uh, sick, so I'm here to ask the follow-up question. Is it fine with you? Yes, continue, Honourable Member, but in future you must report on time. No, we did. Uh, we did. It was reported, but yes. on what I have on my table. No, there it was, it was reported. Uh, mm. Continue. Uh, thank you, uh, House Chairperson Minister. Uh, you have mentioned now that you are busy studying the report, but just also you have mentioned of a monitoring system uh, that was implemented in 2015. Uh, what did your monitoring system reveal about uh, the quality of uh, uh, the qualifications of uh, EDUNISA? Thanks. Thanks, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. Thank you very much, House, House Chair. I think, House Chair, this is a new question, which will actually require me to go back and look at what previous reports have specifically said about UNISA. My answer for now 
is the one that I have already given that. I've been concerned about a number of things at UNISA, some of which have come from reports, some of which have been drawn to my attention by various stakeholders regarding UNISA. The one issue that I've said, for instance, is the very low pass rate at UNISA, which was part of my original problem. And also UNISA is a distance education institution. But the, the manner in which its student profile is changing is something also that I said it actually needs to be looked into in order to assess whether UNISA is still being in within its mandate of being a distance education institution. And also my concern, of course, has been that UNISA is our largest, single largest university. 35% of our university students are at UNISA. So any challenges, for instance, in relation to a low pass rate, it means therefore we are not producing the number of graduates that we need to be producing as a country. Those were some of the concerns. But if we are asking me specifically around specific, and those reports, by the way, about UNISA, there are reports and so on, the honorable member is free to go and look into them because they are public documents. They are not private documents. Thank you very much. Thanks, honorable minister. The next uh, question, minister, is question number 187. Asked by honorable Mr. M.E. Nchabeling. Question number one. Eight seven, Minister. Uh, Honourable uh, House Chair, if you permit me, can I request the Deputy Minister to take over this question? Thank you very much. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Thank you, um, Minister. Thank you, House Chairperson. Um, it is uh, it is important that we. Uh, that to note that the NS has faced a lot of challenges in 2021 due to the significant growth in demand for funding and the constrained budget, as well as the budget cuts from 2021 confirmed by the uh, National Treasury. This resulted in the delay of the finalization of the 2021 guidelines for the DHEAD buzzer scheme for university students by 31 December 2020. And therefore, given the uncertainties around the demand for funding and the available budget, as well as the possibility that a substantive policy change would be required. The Basari guidelines could only be finalized in March 2021 when government approved the reprioritization of funding from the department's budget, which contributed to a delay in responses to eligible NSFAS students, specifically affecting first-time entry students at some institutions. And therefore measures to address the NSFAS challenges a are as follows. Firstly, a submission through the, uh, the medium-term budget policy statement to the National Treasury outstanding, outlining the funding requirements over the MTF. Secondly, NSFAS has developed a first draft of the guidelines for university and TV college students for the 2022 academic year and has undertaken extensive consultations with the minister and the department and also with the University of South Africa at college principals and also the South African students uh, and student representative councils. 
The guidelines will be finalized following the conclusion of all consultations with various stakeholders. And thirdly, for the 2022 application cycle, the NSFAS developed an application process and systems that will provide real-time funding eligibility decisions to students. And one of the areas that NSFAS has reviewed extensively are the processes uh, and enabling technology system centered around its ability to assess, confirm, and communicate eligibility decisions to students. Finally, the Ministerial Committee of, uh, Committee of Inquiry submitted its report to the Minister into the business process systems and capacity of the NSFAS on 11 March 2021, and it was presented to Cabinet, and therefore uh, the Board has been requested to provide a formal response and an indication of areas of work already underway. Uh, thank you, House Chairs. Thanks, uh, Deputy Minister. Before I call the follow-up follow -up question, uh, the member that must do the follow-up question, I want you to remind all the members, including yourself, ministers and deputy ministers, that uh, your photo must be on the screen if you are on visual, because uh, you are on live and people want you to see you and know who is the Deputy Minister of uh, Education? Please, can we do that? Uh, the next follow-up question is going to be asked by Mr. M.E. Nchabele. Honorable Nchabele. Thanks, uh, House Chair. Um, and also thanks to the to the deputy minister on answering my question on the process of approval of funding of uh, students by NSFAS. Uh, Honorable uh, Minister, your consultation with, with key stakeholders will go a very long way in finding common solutions to the challenges in the higher education sector. In the light of your response, are there specific commonly agreed time, time frames to conclude the consultation process in order to allow the smooth registration and opening of fire uh, institution of learning next year in 2022. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Honorable Member, Honorable Min Deputy Minister. Uh, Vula, Vula, Sguzwa, uh, Deputy oh, Minister. Okay. I was saying I'd ask to, to, uh, uh, to switch off my video due to the uh, network, but let's see how this goes. The uh, consultations are expected, or this engagement, uh, Honorable Chabilin, are expected to be concluded by the 15th of December this year, uh, and that the uh, NSFAS is also completing engagements with other stakeholders. And we're therefore expecting draft guidelines uh, that will be uh, submitted to uh, the minister by the 15th of December 2021, following the board approval of the uh, NSFAS. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Uh, the next follow-up question is Honorable MSAD Malika. Thank you, House Chair. 
And thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister, for your response. Uh, Deputy Minister, one of the major complaints by the students in the past has been a poor communication from the side of the NSFAS. What has measures has been put in place to improve communication? Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Malika. Uh, Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much. I think as, as we've indicated that uh, the East uh, communication that is taking place um, uh, between uh, the uh, different stakeholders. In fact, I think it would be unfortunate if any of the stakeholders would indicate that they have not been consulted uh, and that uh, consultations uh, for these guidelines have actually been uh, uh, you know, quite extensive, uh, especially including uh, SRCs, uh, from the universities and also SRCs from the Tibet uh, colleges. So we have strengthened consultations in this regard. Thank you. Thanks very much, uh, Deputy Minister. The next uh, follow-up uh, question is Honorable MSA Lutuli. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Chair. I'm, I'm going to take that one on behalf of Honorable Lutuli. She's sick. Uh, Deputy Minister, what is the department position on the clearance of student debt? Thank you very much, uh, Deputy uh, House Chair. Thanks, uh, Honorable Member. Honorable Deputy Minister. Okay, I think the, the question is not clear. Uh, what, what student debt are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about uh, student debt uh, that is held by uh, students with universities, uh, which uh, we uh, have made it very explicit that, uh, you know, those need to be dealt with by universities, between universities and students. Firstly, secondly, uh, we have continuously encouraged those students who have been recipients of the NSFAS uh, student loan in the past to continue paying for their uh, debt. But also thirdly, and I think this is also important, is that we've continuously contributed towards uh, relieving uh, both universities and students of uh, you know, the, uh, the debt that is uh, 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 there between, uh, or, or that is held by students uh, towards uh, universities, particularly those self-paying uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, students. But I think if uh, there's more details that the member needs, we can always provide, uh, you know, what sort of interventions we've made uh, in the past as it relates to student debt. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Deputy Minister. The next follow-up question will be asked by Honorable Lapskarten. Thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, Honorable Deputy Minister, you already alluded to uh, some of the fact, things that I would like to ask you in your previous answer. But um, in the light of the challenges that, you know, with late payouts and non-payouts and of some of the bursaries and so on, can you clarify uh, what is the current criteria for uh, a student to obtain NESFAS um, funding and for them to keep it for the time period of the studies? And then also, you mentioned in the first um, answer that you are busy finalizing the guidelines for a new system. 
can you give us an indication on what will be the date or the time frame for the finalization of that? Thank you. Thanks, Honorable Member. Honorable Deputy Minister. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you, Honorable Member, for uh, that follow-up question. As I indicated, the um, deadline is the, is the 15th of December, upon which the NSFAS is expected to conclude their engagements with the different stakeholders and uh, submit the final draft guidelines to the Minister uh, for consideration uh, before the 15th of, uh, of uh, December. Uh, but secondly, uh, for a student to qualify based on the existing uh, guidelines, uh, they have to have a household uh, income, a combined household income of less than 350,000 rands, um, uh, which is major. They have to be accepted by a university or a TVET college. Uh, and uh, as it currently exists, uh, they have to uh, pass at least 50% of their modules uh, for them to continue uh, getting uh, NSFAS uh, 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 funding. However, some of these uh, provisions are going to be, I mean, are under consultation based on the draft guidelines that have been uh, submitted and are under consultation. Thanks, Deputy Minister. Siakuba, uh, the question that you have asked by Honorable Arnold, uh, 174, Minister. Lieutenant Chair Amazuru, Minister of Plate, Pagatwin, Lieutenant Minister continues on I asked Chair. Okay, thanks very Thank much, you. Minister. Kuba, 174. Thank you. Thank you. Question 174, uh, uh, Chairperson. The uh, department's highest priority is to uh, strengthen and expand the public college. Uh, Tibet college, uh, college systems and turn them into institutions of choice for school leavers. South Africa has a significant mismatch between the skills needed in the economy and the skills available uh, in the labor market. And this has necessitated the design and implementation of strategies to coordinate economic planning and skills development. Current enrollment patterns highlight that most students enroll programs that may not lead to meaningful opportunities. An analysis shows that enrollment is likely unresponsive to regional economies. For example, there are low or no enrollments in, uh, in tourism and hospitality programs in regions that have strong tourism sectors, and the highest enrollments uh, in the colleges are from human resource management and business studies. And among these strategies, House Chair has been to review I mean, the review of the courses offered by colleges and the introduction of new ones. Our department has designed and, and implemented the Centers of Specialization uh, program in the TVET college sector. And the Center of Specialization program entails the establishment of a dedicated department known as Center of Specialization within a host of TVET colleges, which serve as an anchor working closely with employers to deliver a dual system-based apprenticeship program. And in 2019, we rolled out the COS program in 19 public TVET colleges um, uh, across the country. 13 priority items and trades were selected with each trade offered at two sites. 
considerable progress has been made uh, in designing and implementing this new approach to apprenticeship training in our country, both to increase the number of artisans produced in line with the demand and to improve the quality of artisans produced by public TVET colleges. And the list uh, quite extensive, we uh, you know, can share with uh, the members of those uh, programs uh, and the colleges that are offering them and also the uh, areas uh, where the TVET colleges are, uh, uh, just to save time. And due to industry participation and demand, the sites have been uh, increased from 26 in 2019 to 33 in 2021. And these sites are also being developed to be trade test centers uh, for occupational programs. And our department is also transforming uh, colleges into hubs of innovation and entrepreneurship, which enables students not only to look for employment, but also to create employment for themselves and others. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thanks very much, Deputy Minister. Follow-up question is going to be asked by Honorable Mr. Arnold. Uh, thank you, House Chairperson, and thank you to uh, the Deputy Minister for, for his response. Uh, the provision of uh, quality, technical, and vocational education and training plays a vital role in promoting both economic and socio-economic development. My question to you, Minister, Deputy Minister, is what efforts are being made to foster and grow partnerships between TVET colleges and industry to enhance work-related skills? Thank you. Thanks, uh, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister or Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable uh, uh, Member, for uh, that question. The, uh, the, the very same intention of our Centers of Specialization is to foster the relationship between industry uh, and uh, our TVET colleges. Uh, and, and for instance, uh, you know, all the uh, uh, programs that are offered through our centers of specialization, which yields, uh, you know, uh, thousands of artisans and apprenticeship have been or are in association with industries such as uh, uh, SAFSA, such as the PIRB, such as the RMI, and all of those. And the intention is to ensure that industry is involved. One of the things that we're also encouraging, uh, 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 you know, and which we're seeing in most of the colleges is uh, colleges taking initiative to uh, collaborate with industry directly and therefore placing students in workplace integrated learning for them to acquire the work, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the required experience uh, 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 for them to join, uh, you know, the labor market. So emphasis is on partnership between uh, TVET colleges and uh, industry in order for relevance in terms of programs, uh, but also to ensure employability or the ability to pursue entrepreneurship upon completion by students from the different colleges. Thank you, uh, Chair. Thanks very much, Deputy Minister. The follow-up question is on our Thank you. Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, House Chair. Uh, Deputy Minister, in 2013, the Department of Higher Education and Training said a review of subjects was initiated by the Quality Council for Trades and Industry. Support teams had undertaken 38 subject reviews from N1 to N6. 
30 of these subjects were submitted to QCTO for quality assurance and were approved in 2020 for implementation in 2021. This review was to ensure that it responded to industry needs and enabled graduates to find employment. Not all of these revised subjects have been implemented at TV, TVET colleges as envisaged by DHET, and neither have lectures been trained sufficiently. Some colleges across the country are phasing out the courses, yet DHET is reviewing these courses. Deputy Minister, can we get clarity on which courses will be kept and which will be phased out? I thank you, House Chair. Thanks, Honourable Member. Uh, Thank you, Honourable Deputy Minister. Thank you, so. Thank you Honourable uh, Chair, Honourable House Chair. Uh, and I think upon the completion of the review uh, of the, um, uh, I mean, of the of the NATED uh, uh, courses, we will then be able to uh, advise in terms of, uh, I mean, all colleges in terms of what needs to happen uh, in, uh, uh, you know, in that regard. We note, uh, I note, and I think with the, uh, want to engage with specifics in terms of those colleges that uh, the honourable member suggests that have already begun the uh, facing out. Our intention is to ensure that this program is nationally coordinated and is quite intentional in what it wants to achieve. Uh, you know, as it relates to facing out of any of our programs in our TVET college, particularly the native programs. Thank you. Thanks, uh, honourable um, deputy minister. Um, the next uh, follow-up question is going to be asked by Honourable MSMN, Gillian. Thank you, House Chair. Um, and thank you, Honourable Deputy Minister, for your response on the TVET um, sector, which has been underfunded in the past. Now, in the light of your response, DM, is there any regular review of the country's labor market demands by the department in collaboration with the key stakeholders to inform policy changes in the curriculum content of TVET colleges? If not, why not? And if so, what are the relevant details? Thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, Deputy Minister. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Member. The, uh, we have an important role to play in identifying both the skills and occupations which will support interventions to grow the economy uh, and, and in improving the responsiveness of the post-school education and training system we, uh, you know, to the skills needs of the labour market. The list of occupations in high demand uh, is one of the several mechanisms through which our department fulfills this role and information about occupations in high demand provides useful insights into the skills needs of the economy and society, especially in the context where the South African labor market is characterized, uh, is characterized by high levels of unemployment on the one hand and skills shortages on the other. Now, uh, the, uh, we have gazetted uh, the final list of the, uh, uh, you know, the occupations in high demand in 2014, and subsequently two more lists were gazetted in 2016 and 2018, uh, respectively. The November 2020 list was the fourth and latest uh, iteration produced, 
And this Gazette provides a list of occupations that have been identified as being in high demand at national level. And it is intended to inform decision-making in relation to a wide range of issues pertaining to inter-alia education and training, uh, not only in the TVET, but also the entire research system. The 13 occupational qualifications that are currently offered at the Centers of Specialization was identified through this review process, and the list is reviewed every uh, two years, and that representatives from a number of organizations were consulted in the process of verifying the list, uh, and I can mention those organizations. Uh, the list goes on, which include business, uh, government, uh, and all of that, but we are uh, quite committed to uh, this process and the consultation and the continuous review of the uh, list of uh, occupations in high demand. Thank you, uh, Chair. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Follow-up question is coming from Honorable Mr. F. Titoit. Thank you, Chair. Deputy Minister, it's evident that there's already a wide range of courses available at TVET colleges. But uh, would you agree that more stringent uh, qualification criteria must be set for individuals that are interested to enroll at TVET colleges to prevent unnecessary dropouts? Uh, as you know, the dropout level at TVET colleges is sky high at this stage. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Honourable Minister. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, there is a challenge in terms of dropouts, uh, and it's something that we're obviously looking at. Uh, you know, as to whether it's the question of programs that students take up or whether it's uh, issues around psychosocial support, uh, which we are continuously working hard on, uh, you know, the uh, question remains. And we remain worried about the high, uh, uh, you know, dropout. And it also uh, uh, is one of the uh, indicators uh, that have been set to the uh, managers in our TVET college to ensure that we improve the rate of uh, out, output, uh, pass rate, uh, you know, active at colleges. And we're willing to consider, uh, you know, suggestions that will help us to improve the uh, pass rate at uh, TVET colleges. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thanks, uh, Honorable Deputy Minister. Siakuba, uh, we are going to the question number 179, asked by Honorable MS DC. Christian. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. And thanks for the, the question from Honorable Christians. My, my answer to this question is that uh, in terms of the Higher Education Act of 1997, universities in South Africa determined their own official language policies and without the involvement of government. Of course, they do this subject to the language policy for higher education as set out by myself. Otherwise, within that framework that I said, institutions set up their own individual language policies. In this regard, Stellenbosch University followed the prescripts of the Act, as I have said, to determine and adopt its language policy. The Council of the University makes the final determination of the circumstances and any changes that may be required on the institution's policies. Thank you very much, uh, 
Honorable House Chair. Thanks, uh, Minister. The next uh, follow-up question is going to be asked by Honorable MSC Labaskahan. Thank you, House Chair. Honorable Minister, I just want to know who gave you the right to unilaterally support policies that in effect circumvent or amend the founding provisions of the supreme law in our country, which is the constitution, as set out in paragraph 6.1, where Afrikaans is being listed as one of the official languages of our country. Thank you, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. I must say I'm quite shocked and surprised, Honourable Chair, at the comment by, and the nature of the question of Honourable Labuskakni. I don't know when did I change the status of Africans as an official language. Africans still remain one of the 11 official languages in South Africa. And it's being treated like that within the context of our language policy. What, of course, we are not going to tolerate is an agenda by some of African right-wingers who want to use Africans as a means of excluding especially black non-African non speakers from their institutions. Otherwise, Africans is respected and I'm committed to protect Africans in our language policy. That's what it does as an official African language. The other thing though, which I must say, is that much as we have 11 official languages, but the fact of the matter is that there are nine if you like Bantu languages, including the Khoi and the Sun languages, were deliberately underdeveloped by the apartheid regime and colonialism in general. And what I'm committed to doing as the minister is to put additional resources to raise these languages to become languages of science and academia like English and Africans. So I want to dismiss the whole idea that I'm changing the constitution. I urge Honorable Labuskakne to go and read section 29 of the constitution, which by the way, I'm very proud. I was one of the drafters of that clause in 1996 towards finalizing our constitution. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Thank you, Minister. The next follow-up question number two is Honorable M.S.A.D. Malika. Uh, thank you, Jose. Honorable Minister, the Constitution of South Africa recognizes all the languages as equal. And there is a general recognition that indigenous African languages are the most underdeveloped and underfunded in our entire education system. Can the Honorable Minister therefore elaborate on the specific intervention of the language policy of the department to develop the African indigenous language that were excluded and marginalized by the apartheid system of white minority domination. Thank you, Chair. 
Thank you, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. Uh, thank you very much uh, for the comments, as well as the question from the Honourable Minister. What I would just like to highlight is that uh, I think it was around 2013. I'm sorry, Honourable Chair, if I, I, I can't remember the exact year, that I appointed a ministerial task team to look at how can we uh, assist, how can we have appropriate intervention, sorry, to make sure that all those languages that were developed under apartheid, the African indigenous languages, are actually upgraded to become languages of Thanks, uh, Minister. The next follow-up question, question uh, follow-up question number three, is going to be asked by Honourable Mr. A. Arnold. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Um, Minister, in light of the linkage between race and language in the context of South Africa's history, will the 11 official languages, including, and do you agree, that's why really also be included as a medium of instruction at Stella Boss University? Thank you. Thanks, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. Sorry, Honorable House Chair, I didn't understand which language the member was saying would be included at Stellenbosch. Swahili, uh, Minister. Swahili. Mm. Oh, okay. I didn't understand that. No, there is no plan as of yet to actually include Kiswahili. Of course, it's something that personally for myself, I think that it's something that should be considered in future. But as things stand now, the single biggest problem we have in languages in South Africa is that the overwhelming majority of our kids, for instance, as they are writing metric now, they are writing in languages other than their own mother tongue. That is the biggest injustice that we still have. And in fact, in fact, the resources that we have, we need to be putting them, all of them, just to ensure that we do actually attend to the underdevelopment of South African indigenous languages of African origin in order to be able to, to balance. Even the fact that, you know, the, the, the languages that are spoken as second or third languages by many South Africans do not cover these African indigenous languages in South Africa. There's a task that we still have just to promote multilingualism, apart from as, apart from addressing the underdevelopment of some of the languages, but to promote multilingualism and using our institutions of higher, education, of higher learning to actually promote multilingualism. That is where the priority for this government is at this point in time. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. Thank you, uh, Minister. Follow up number four, Honorable Nchabele. Uh, thanks, House Chair. And 
I forgot to congratulate the minister on getting clean audits for the divisions that report uh, in his office. Honorable Minister, I'm sure you will acknowledge that language has been used as a barrier to access of the historically marginalized into the higher education and training sector. And secondly, as a tool to entrench white supremacy and marginalization of indigenous languages. In the light of your response, Honorable Minister, one, what scope does the Higher Education Act provide for the ministerial intervention to ensure language parity in the higher education sector? And two, has the minister made any intervention in accordance with the act to ensure parity? Thanks, sir. Thanks, sir. Thanks, uh, Honorable Chabelin, Deputy uh, Minister. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Chair of the Select Committee, Honorable Chabelin, and thank you very much for your kind words with regards to in order to my ministry and departments. I think, firstly, I would really like to agree with you with what we have to achieve in this country. As I have said, it's inequalities and also in language use and support to languages. And also to ensure that no section of South African society is able to take us use language as a means of equity. For that matter, to impose language like a regime did in 1976 in trying to impose Africans on everyone. We must never, ever allow that to happen. And we want to remind, by the way, some of the honorable members who are part of supporting those policies are the ones who are crying foul today when they should be looking at themselves on the problems they cause for the language policies that we are trying to, to address today. Now, in terms of intervention, the policies, the language policy for higher education is one method of intervention. That is why I have this policy that it is debated. After it has been finalized and I've got responses, I will take it to cabinet and also bring it to parliament for finalization. Indeed, after the reports that I got from the task team on the promotion of languages in particular that have been submitted in the past, we have been working with this in terms of working towards provision of additional resources such that languages are being used. I must say some of the universities are doing very well. For instance, UKZN has been experimenting about writing certain subjects in CISUL, for instance. I know that UCT is requiring every student who is doing is training as a medical practitioner to at least be competent in spoken course. So there are a number of other initiatives that we are supporting that the universities are embarking upon to try and address this historical injustice of the suppression, almost or total destruction of the African languages that are indigenous to this country that was done by the apartheid regime. And that for me, is the priority question, Honorable Chair, as I have said before. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister Siakuba. Minister, uh, the next uh, question that have asked by Honorable Mr. Nzuwing is 188. 
thank you, Minister. Thank you, House Chair. I'll be taking that question. The uh, department has not seen any recent media reports uh, regarding the fraudulent existence of the operate of an operation of private Tibet colleges. Nor has such reports been brought to the attention of our department. And should anyone come across such media reports, um, they must bring them to the attention of the department. Uh, and we do not tolerate any ex existence and operation of unregistered private Tibet institutions unless they offer N4, N5, and N6 in business studies or engineering studies. Nevertheless, such private Tibet colleges must have been accredited by the Quality Council for Trades and Occupations to offer these programs legally. The department has from time to time embarked on aggressive campaigns across the province uh, to monitor and ensure that all private institutions are either registered with the department where applicable or accredited by the QTCO to operate. These campaigns also seek to raise awareness of the public, parents and students about the registration and accreditation of private institutions and what they should look out for should they decide to enroll uh, at private institutions. In some instances, these campaigns include participating in radio and television program slots to address the issue of registration and accreditation of private institutions. The, the register of uh, private colleges is updated and published on the website of the department on a regular basis to ensure that as soon as a private college gets uh, registered, its name is entered into the register and published for the benefit of the public, parents, and also students. And therefore, an updated register of private colleges can be accessed from our department's website, which is www.dhat.gov.za. Thank you, Chair. Thanks very much. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Uh, the first uh, follow-up uh, question, number one, uh, is Honorable Mr. Nsube. No, no, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chairperson, the Minister and Deputy Minister. Uh, let me crocodile my, 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 my question. I think the Deputy Minister has succinctly answered the question. Thank you very much, House Chairperson. Thanks very much, Honorable Member. Um, the follow-up question number two have asked is going to be asked by Honorable Mr. M. S. Muletsane. Uh, thank you, thank you, Chairperson of the session. Uh, Deputy Minister, I've heard your your, your response to to the question, and my follow-up question was going to be based on on those students who have been victims of, of, of those unregistered uh, uh, colleges that uh, because of their poor background, uh, they have lost a lot of money with their parents, they have sweat for it. And what I wanted to know is that if, 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 uh, if there are those parents who, who have lost money uh, to, to those uh, fly-by-night uh, colleges, uh, what was what is your department uh, assistance in order to assist those those uh, parents in order to to recover that uh, that money that that they have lost? 
Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Member, Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Member, for the follow-up question. Unfortunately, as a department, we uh, are unable to intervene uh, post-factor uh, uh, if uh, the uh, students or parents have already registered with an illegal college. Um, and we therefore want to advise all parents and all students uh, and even communities uh, to, um, you know, uh, check with uh, any private institutions that claims to be registered. And even if that college has been registered, to also check if the programs that that college is providing, whether those programs themselves have been registered and therefore report those uh, colleges and or programs to the uh, to the department. So all that we're doing and all that we can do is, uh, uh, and, and which we continue to do, is to engage into a massive operation to alert communities about the, uh, uh, you know, the colleges that have been accredited and the programs that have been, uh, you know, uh, accredited, encourage parents uh, and students to ensure that uh, they check those institutions against the uh, register that uh, I've spoken about earlier, which is the register of pr uh, private colleges, which can be accessed in our website. Thanks very much, uh, Deputy Minister. The follow-up question number three is going to be asked by Honorable Mr. M.A.P.D. Debray. Then uh, after, I would like to invite a House Chairperson, Honorable Nyambi, to continue on follow-up question four. Dipre, Honorable Dipre. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Deputy Minister, with regard to the fraudulent TVET colleges, is there a register publicly available of non-fraudulent institutions? And if not, will it be considered? And what measures would the department put in place to ensure public awareness of these fraudulent institutions? Thanks. Thanks, Honourable Member. Uh, Deputy Minister. Thank you, Chairperson. The answer is yes, the registrar is available to the public and is continuously updated. Uh, and secondly, as I said, we are involved. Um, I have personally uh, gone to, uh, you know, different communities uh, to alert them of, uh, you know, the dangers of uh, registering in a private institution that has not been or that is not recognized by our department. Um, uh, and, and we'll continue doing that. We uh, you know, have had uh, instances where we uh, closed some of these uh, uh, colleges. Uh, and also uh, this has led to the prosecution of some of the people who are fraudulently um, uh, registering colleges uh, in order to uh, illegally benefit from unsuspecting parents and uh, students. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. The next follow-up question is from Honorable Okam. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Honorable Deputy Minister, according to a report published on your department's website, which you quoted earlier, there are still 40 bogus colleges in the country. Are these colleges still in operation? 
And if not, what steps were taken against these colleges? Furthermore, how is your department assisting private institutions to achieve full registration status? Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you, Honorable Okam. Uh, Honorable DM. Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, also thank you to the Honorable Member. Uh, firstly, the uh, question of, uh, and, and I think I, I can't emphasize this more. So, so what we have is inst instances where uh, colleges register uh, as colleges, uh, and then in some instances then offer programs which they have not yet registered with the department. And I think this distinction is important. So a college may be registered with the department through our section uh, that deals with the registration of private institutions, uh, and then continue to offer programs which are not necessarily registered to be provided by that institution. So if one goes to a college, they must not only check whether that college is registered, but also check if the program that they want to register for uh, has been registered or not. And as far as we're concerned, none of the colleges which have not been registered should be operating. And so should those colleges which are offering programs uh, which have not been registered, that those programs should not be uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, provided. And so we continuously uh, get information on these type of colleges and we attend to those instances. Uh, you know, and uh, what we want to see is zero tolerance towards fraudulently registered fly-by-night uh, uh, colleges, and we continue to working hard towards that objective. Secondly, our department works uh, around the clock with uh, private colleges who intends to register in, uh, and provide education in our country, uh, help them with uh, legislation that they should follow, uh, and also the quality of the programs that should be provided and the accreditation processes that are required for those particular programs in order for them to be uh, legible. So there's no excuse for any institution to uh, fraudulently uh, present themselves as a college when they are not registered with our uh, department. We want to encourage those who want to provide education uh, through private institutions to approach the department. Our department is there to help you so that we're able to ensure that we provide uh, education legally and not through uh, means such as fly-by-night colleges. Uh, thank you, Chair and uh, Honorable Member for that question. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister Manamela. Honorable Members, we've come to the end of questions to the Minister and Deputy Minister of Higher Education, Science and Innovation. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Minister Nzimande and Deputy Minister Manamela for availing themselves to take questions in the National Council of Provinces. Thank you, TM and Minister. We now proceed to question as printed uh, on the question paper. We've already welcomed Honorable Deputy Minister of Basic Education, Honorable Mahaule. 
We now start with question 182, asked by Honorable Ndongeni. Honorable DM Haole. Thank you, Chair, and greetings to members. I, I heard the echo, was it, when I speak, there's an echo always. I was worried that you are not safe where you are when you look <laughs> at the back. I thought somebody's I'm looking around. Is, is there any television open or what? That's why I'm a bit worried. Where's my phone? Uh, Chairperson, let me respond to question 182 by Honorable Dongeni. The question, I don't know whether to read the question, whether the head department has considered the impact of load shedding on the readiness of the national senior certificate. If not, why not? If so, what are the relevant details? Whether the current load shedding has impacted on a preparation of learners for their exams, B, smooth running of schools, and C, whether head departments uh, to manage examination, including the security of the papers in their marking, if not why. My response share to this question, the Department of Basic Education as part of the state of readiness for the National Senior Certificate Examination has considered the impact of load shedding. There has been constant communication between the senior managers of SO and the senior managers of the department to prevent load shedding on certain critical days during the conduct of the examinations, especially those that are dependent on electricity. In addition, the heads of provincial examination units have been liaising with the provincial heads of ESCOM coordinators to try and manage the load shedding. Number two, A, load shedding has certainly impacted on learners' preparation for examination. When doing their final revision, like we know that every night before the exam learners will want to study and if there's load shedding obviously they will not going to study uh, in b in terms of the running of schools there would have been minor impact of load shedding in schools where computers are required for some of their administrative processes it may have also had some impact on normal teaching and learning in the classroom given that not all classrooms are designed to allow for maximum illumination. So load trading also impacts on the writing of the 2021 National Senior Certificate Examination, given the poor lightning in most in some of the classrooms. However, the electricity dependent questions, papers like your computer application technology, CAT and IT were successfully administered uh, in in November, in October. And uh, that includes the South African sign languages that was written on 11 November, 2021. So the paper two of the sign language chair will be, oh, has been written day before yesterday. Paper three will be written on the 30th of November. This is sign language. Then in terms of the current discussion with ESCOM, the South African uh, Sign Language Home Language Centers will be protected from load shading, which means even on the 30th, whether there's load shading, but 
wherein a sign language is a home language for those candidates, uh, they will not be affected. In the rare cases uh, where load shedding affected cats, another date has been set of the 7th of December because you find that you get a report after that in this area, because the country is too big, uh, the computer application technology and IT were not written. That's why we have given a room for that to be written on the 7th of December. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The first follow-up question is from Honorable Dongeni. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister, for the elaborated response to the question. It is encouraging to hear about the communication and joint planning between ESCOM and your department. Also very encouraging is to forward planning by your department to minimize the effect of load shedding. Honorable Minister, the only difficulty I have is how in future we're going to assist those learners whose preparation for examination are affected because of the non-availability of alternative energy resource caused by their economic conditions. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Dungeni. Honorable DM. Thank you so much, Chair. As I indicated that we are talking in discussions with ESCO and we will continue with the engagement with ESCOM so that the load trading is minimized during the examination periods. We are not only engaging ESCOM, but we are also engaging municipalities because there are some municipalities that when it is time to write examinations, then they put the bill up and the electricity bills up and they close the switch off for the schools. So we uh, will continue to do that. And we are encouraging our schools to look at the alternative energy for schools, but not all schools will afford that, but we'll be working with provinces to make sure that some of the school in rural areas, we can also put uh, these mechanisms of putting uh, alternative energy. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Baha. Uh, thank you, uh, House Chair. Um, DM, widespread rolling blackouts have destabilized the national grid since 2007, and with no end in sight as the, as the woes of ESCOM continue to wreak havoc on the country and its economy. Additionally, it appears that load shedding will be with us for a very long time to come yet. What steps have the Department of Basic Education taken to ensure that the future um, of education in the country is not disrupted um, by future blackouts? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Baha. Honorable DM. Thank you, Chair. That question to me, it's like a question asked to Honorable Mandashe, but we are responsible for the schools and schools are in the community. And when the entire community is affected, it's difficult for basic education to supply electricity for the entire community. But we are saying for our schools, we will try wherein we are 
we will be affected by load shedding. We'll try to provide solar panels in our schools. We have started in many schools in the country. We have started, but remember, it does not only affect the school, it affects the learner at home. So, and some of the parents at home do not have the backup like other parents would have. So in that, in that instance, we as a department of basic education will try by all means to push the curriculum that by, the, by at least end of June, we are done with the curriculum and then we, 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 we support them from July on the revision of the work and that will not disturb them in, the, in their study. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Malika, who's standing in for Honorable Ngwezi. Honorable Malika. Thank you, House Chair. Honorable Deputy Minister, we'll certainly agree that the security of examination papers is the key to the integrity of our examination system and the quality of our education system. In this regard, what extra measures have been put in place to tighten the security of the exam papers based on the lessons of the past. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Malika. Honorable DM. Thank you, Chair. We, we did come to the House to present the readiness and the risks that are attached to the writing of the examination. And I know that the risks emanate as a weaknesses in the security of the papers. But we are working with the security cluster to make sure that our papers are secured. We don't only do this function alone as basic education. We work with SAPS. We work with some other members of the security cluster to protect the papers and we'll continue to strengthen our partnership with them and also make sure that we don't only put electronic uh, security, but also physical security, and make sure that when we put a physical security, that security goes with accountability. Unlike when there's a physical security, then they change, they say, I don't know. That's why in some provinces, they put one person who opens the door with a thumb, not a code, because a code we will be able to exchange. Even the computer that has the paper before it gets printed, is opened through a thumb of a person who will be accountable. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM Haule. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Aplene. Honorable Aplene is on the virtual platform. Uh, Chairperson of the, of the session, uh, there's a problem with uh, Honorable Aplene. Can I assist him? No problem, we can assist. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Deputy Minister, the ongoing load shading impacts negatively to people's exam preparations in the evenings uh, during their studies, as well as in the mornings due to traffic caused by load shading that makes learners to arrive late. Are there any plans in place to assist learners who arrive late into exam rooms due to traffic caused by load shading. Thank you, Chair. 
Thank you, Honorable DM Mahawule. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, situations are not the same. That's why we know that there's a time where there's no shooting in the morning. Learners and the candidates this time would be late for exams. So we give an allowance because management starts at school level. And then we give allowance for those that if you came, I know that you'll be coming when learners are still writing. Then you will be given that opportunity to write because you'll enter the exam room before they finish. It's not something that we can say, we have a plan of a future uh, traffic because it's not only load shedding that causes traffic. It can be caused by accidents. It can be caused by any other thing. So if the reason is valid and clear, always candidates are given a, an opportunity to write. Even if the paper starts at nine o'clock, you know that you must be there 15 minutes before the paper starts. But we, we, when you arrive, maybe after an hour, a three hour paper, uh, they've started writing, you are given an opportunity because the reason is valid. So there'll be no way where our children will be disadvantaged from writing examination. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. Honorable DM Haule, we now move to question 176, asked by Honorable Christian, and Honorable Baha is standing in for Honorable Christian. Honorable DM. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. My answer will start with yes, but the question is whether Head Department has any plans to intervene or assist schools by providing a safe physical environment that is conducive to teaching and learning? The answer is yes. Section three and subsection four N and O of National Education Policy Act 1996 empowers the minister to support provinces in ensuring physical, safe, and conducive environment to teaching and learning with a culture of discipline free from all forms of violence. The department has developed the National School Safety Framework. Uh, among other, other guidelines, the regulations to strengthen safe environments for the entire education sector. The framework provides an important instrument through which minimum standards for safety at school can be established, implemented, and monitored, and for which schools, districts, and provinces can be held accountable. The framework is premised, Chair, on the assumption that each person in the school experiences safety in different ways and has different safety needs, and it provides schools with tools to identify what these experiences are and the steps that need to be taken to address the individual needs. At the same time, the framework provides a system, systematic approach to ensure that each member uh, in the school community plays their role in increasing and maintaining safe school spaces. The framework is just one step that the department affirms its commit, commitment to the rights, rights of all children in South Africa. And, to all those in the school community to realizing the vision set out in the National Development Plan and to and, uh, ensuring safe and equitable access to quality education for children throughout South Africa. Finally, Chair, the framework includes 
a series of addendums. Uh, those addendums, they offer discrete standalone training manuals and materials that cover specific aspects of school safety. And uh, these are school anti-bullying, homophobia and xenophobia anti-bullying and gang starism awareness material uh, that have been developed for school governing bodies and school management teams. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The first follow-up question is from Honorable Bacha. Um, <clears throat> thank you, House Chairperson. Um, DM, recently in Alexandra, a grade eight learner was stabbed to death on school grounds. In the free state, a 19-year-old was stabbed and killed by a fellow student. And a 13-year-old from Senzilla Primary was stabbed in front of learners and teachers. A grade, a grade 11 learner died um, after allegedly being hit on the head with a brick by another learner at Sikukusa Secondary School in Pumala. Comprehensive plans are in place to address violence in South African schools, especially with a reference to the moral regeneration movement that, uh, that was presented to um, the select committee in 2015 with focus on their vision to work with youth in order to promote good values, dialogue on drugs, teenage pregnancy, violence and gangsterism. In spite of these plans, safety in schools appears to have become worse. What were the consequences for the relevant DDG who has not implemented your project effectively? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable DM. Please respond. Thank you, Chair. Uh, in this case, we cannot accuse one individual. It, it, I always say when I'm in the house that this is a collective work of all members of the society. Because what happens in schools, it, it's exactly what is happening in the community where the school is. So we, our appeal is for all school community to work together to make sure that our children are safe. I spoke here of the school safety framework and in that school safety framework, the DTG is responsible for the implementation of the framework and is working with the provinces and the districts, circuits and schools. So we are monitoring we are working with other members of the civil society within a community. So we, we are aware that there will be all these social ills due to the moral decay of any society. That's why it's not everywhere that you'll have gangsterism, you'll have this and that. It, we know that it is in other places and we're able to address that place together with other sister departments. That's what we're doing. We're not working alone as a department of basic education. We're working with your SAPS communication, uh, um, culture, sports and recreation, social development, and all this. And they are so highly cooperative, these departments. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Tutoit, who's on a virtual platform. Honorable Tutoit. Uh, Chair, I will be handling the question on behalf of Honorable Tutoit. He's having connectivity issues. No problem. You can continue with the question. Okay. Uh, thank you, Chair. Minister, 
would you and your department support the Freedom Front Plus's private members bill that prohibits public gatherings near educational premises or other institutions where minors are present, if tabled again in the interest of a safe school environment? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. Please respond. Chair, the member was very fast. <laughs> I'm trying to follow. Can you repeat the question, please? He was Honorable very fast. Honorable DeBrain, try to be a little bit slow. Honorable DeBrain. That's fine. Thank you, Chair. As I said, Minister, would you and your department support the Freedom Front Plus's private members bill that prohibits public gatherings near educational premises or other institutions where minors are present, if tabled again in the interest of a safe school environment? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. Please respond. Thank you so much. Chair, uh, this, of course, it's a, it's a <laughs> I don't know whether I also will support or not support, but it, 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 to me, it sounds good. Remember, we are, today, the cabinet approved the uh, Bella Bill, Basic Education Bill, Amendment Bill. So, and uh, that which protects schools from the community social ills is part of the bill. So, and today it has been approved. It's, it is moving to parliament and it will be coming to the house. We believe that uh, we'll all participate in it and make sure that all what we think will protect our children is being uh, encapsulated in the bill. And uh, all of us, I'm calling upon members that let's support the bill when it comes to parliament and make sure that we effect all what we think that our children will be protected. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable TM. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Alnot, who's in the House. Honorable Alnot. Uh, thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, Deputy Minister, one of the shortcomings of the Department's National School Safety Framework is a lack of effective monitoring and evaluation on how schools across South Africa are implementing this framework. Why is your government not implementing key legislation, which is essential in ensuring the right of learners and educators' freedom from all forms of violence? Thank you. Thank you. Honorable DM, please respond. Chair, it's just unfortunate that uh, it is the department who must make this happen. The social ills are not only at schools. The social ills are in the communities. And as the department, yet we cannot say we'll alone protect teachers and, and learners against the social ills. I said even earlier on, we are working with other sister departments. I mentioned them. We are working with communities. We are working with all the civil uh, structures of, of communities, including religious leaders and, and, and all forms of religious leaders. We are working with them and traditional leaders in the rural areas. So if we, together with members of the committee, we can work and make sure that all the civil society participate in this, our schools will be free and our teachers will be safe all the time and our learners. But we are working, as I said, we have a structure chair that we call Q 
LTSM, Quality Learning and Teaching Campaign Committees. This structure is a national structure which has their replica at provincial level, district, circuit, and a school level. So they are working with other community structures. So they make sure that our schools become safe zones for the learners. And if we can make sure that we get good people to work in these structures, it will help. And in the SGPs, we have a subcommittee chair that is called School Safety Committee. And now that we have just elected our SGPs, we are training them on all the committees that must work with the SGP and that, that must be elected by the SGP to make sure that our schools are safe. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable TM. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Ntsube, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Ntsube. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chairperson. Honorable Minister, are there any specific programs that are targeting schools that are affected by gangsterism in the communities where they are located? Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Ntsube. Honorable DM, please respond. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, gangsterism, it's a social phenomenon that spills over to a school. We always say that a school is a microcosm of a community. So as such, the department, through the protocol agreements that we have with the South African Police Services, uh, collaborates and contributes to the SAPS's anti-gangsterism strategy. And uh, the, the pillar, that strategy has pillars. Pillar number one is a human development strategy which seeks to address the socioeconomic drivers and social impacts of gang-related activities uh, to foster social cohesion human security and development. The interventions are directed at community level and schools. We believe that since we're working together with SAPS, social development, we will be able to win this, uh, yeah, this fight. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. We now come to question 183 asked by Honorable Gillian. Honorable Deputy Minister, please respond to that. I switch off, then I forget to, <laughs> to connect. The, the, the question seeks to get to know what, whether the government has been mobilizing key stakeholders in promoting a safe learning environment for quality education and galvanizing constructive community involvement in schools to cap incidents of bullying and violence. If not, why not, et cetera, et cetera. But one and two, the question is, yes, the Department of Basic Education is mobilizing stakeholders in ensuring that safe learning environments are created for teaching and learning. Communities and stakeholder involvement through the QLT, C that I mentioned earlier on is at the center of the DBE's program 
delivery. The Department of Basic Education conceptualized the school safety, violence, and bullying prevention initiative. The initiative is a response to incidents of bullying and violence by learners in and out of school. The program has been rolled out as a multi-sectoral intergovernmental initiative. I indicated earlier on, Chair, that we're working with the SAPS, we're working with the Department of Social Development, Department of Justice and Constitutional, um, Home Affairs, Health, and uh, as well as Sports and Culture. The initiative also involves the school governing bodies, school management teams, and school-based support teams. We also in high school also include the learner representative councils uh, and other learner formations that are operating within a school and other school-based stakeholders such as teacher union, faith-based organization, traditional leaders and traditional healers. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. Uh, the first follow-up question is from Honorable Gillion, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Gillion. Thank you, House Chairperson. And thank you, um, Honorable DM, for the response to my question. Now, Honorable DM, are there any examples of successes that can be attributed to the school safety, violence, and bullying prevention initiative that the minister can share with this house. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Please respond. Thank you, Chair. It's difficult to come up with a clear, clear example, but I'll just say what, what we are doing, which I believe that they form part of addressing this. Uh, remember, President has given us a number to employ young people. So in response to that Youth Employment Initiative, uh, which is mandatory for all education assistants and general school assistants to complete the digital training on the national school safety framework, and sexual abuse protocol. We have trained these young people and a total of uh, 220 uh, youth and educators have been trained and uh, completed the digital training on the national school safety framework and protocol for the management and reporting of sexual abuse and harassment in schools. This digital training has enabled schools to be more responsive in addressing uh, safety threats and contribute to supporting the work of the school safety committees, which I've just spoken about now now. And the Department of Basic Education has rolled out bullying prevention campaign, which is led by the Deputy Minister of Basic Education, working with other deputy ministers from the departments that I have mentioned earlier on. And Chair, what I can say, they are very cooperative, the deputy ministers and their departments, they are very cooperative. And we don't only work with the 
deputy ministers alone. We also include learners and learner formation, formations, uh, formations of parents, traditional leaders, uh, teacher unions, and uh, the, the campaign was rolled out in three provinces for now. So in the remaining provinces in the year 2021-22 financial year, before we conclude the year, we will be visiting other provinces. And where we were, Chair, I'm telling you the results that we get, they say it subsides and it has subsided. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Malika, who's standing in for Honorable Ngwezi. Honorable Malika. Thank you, Jose. Honorable Deputy Minister, is there any plan or policy by the department to identify hot hotspots for potential criminality among our schools so that proactive security measures are taken to ensure a safe learning environment? If not, why not? And if so, what are the relevant details? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Malika. I'll be getting some bonus from Honorable Ngwezi. Uh, uh, Honorable Deputy Minister, respond to that question. <laughs> Chair, I indicated that we are working with other departments. And, uh, and the response that we get from those departments is amazing. So, I don't know, that's why I say I have a problem of examples, that uh, when you say give example, but there is a plan. We are fighting all social ills within a school. And we can see that working alone as basic education will never win the battle. That's why we are involving all the other stakeholders who are highly cooperative. And another plan that we have is the training of the school safety committees and working with, a, because now we are from local government, we don't have councillors. When we had councillors before, we work with ward committees because among other things that they have, uh, it's safety in the community and they work with CPS. So I believe that now that we are done with local government elections and the CPFs will be restored, and as they are restored, they will work with the safety, school safety committees by the SGPs. And uh, all these uh, things will be limited. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable TM. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Alnot, who is in the House. Honorable Alnot. Thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, Deputy Minister, school violence in the form of bullying, bullying remains a major challenge in our schools as it occurs in the classroom generally in the absence of a teacher and at times is also perpetrated by teachers themselves as was the case this week in Bissau High School in the Eastern Cape where a 16-year-old pupil committed suicide allegedly after being called a witch by a teacher and three other peers. So how is your department dealing in terms of the after effects of uh, children that is bullying at school? 
being bullied at school. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. Please respond. Chair, it's just unfortunate that uh, we are giving an example of a family that is now in the water, the Latita family. I wanted to start with this chair that uh, pay our condolences to that family that, who lost their grade 12 learner at Bishop High School. And uh, what I can say maybe as, as reporting to this, that the teacher, the alleged teachers have been put on special leave and the investigation has started as to what led to that. And the psychosocial support has been sent to the school, the entire school. And we're not only doing it to the bishop. If such incident like the one that happened in Limpopo, we, we went to, we visited the family. We went to, we provided the psychosocial support to the school because the learners who were there, they are affected in a way or another. And even in this case, we have sent that psychosocial support services to the school and the, the department, our department in the Eastern Cape is taking responsibilities, working with the families. They are, even tomorrow, there's a memorial service. The department is attending. The funeral is on Saturday, is attending. We are not uh, condoning what has happened, but, and we don't want learners to be bullied or discriminated against their religion. That's why every child, no matter what religion that the child belongs to, they are all, must, they must feel free at school. So that's why an action will be taken after the investigation, if it is really uncovered, that discovered that uh, the teachers perpetuated this, perpetrated this situation. So, that's how I respond to this question, Chair. But uh, it's, uh, like I said, we're not only doing it to this school, we support all schools and uh, we condemn with all the contempt it deserves. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Fesser, who's in the house, Honorable Fesser. Thank you, thank you, Honorable House Chair. Um, <clears throat> The implementation of the school safety program is guided by the school safety protocol, which was entered into by the SAPS and the Department of Edu Basic Education in 2011. To realize the objectives of the protocol, the SAPS is to link schools to local police stations and to raise awareness amongst children and young learners regarding crime and violence, as well as its impact on individual, uh, individuals, families and education. Honorable DM, there are roughly around 26,000 schools in South Africa, of which some have seen a rise in crime and violence. Therefore, I would like to be informed as to the number of schools that have implemented this program and whether they have seen an improvement. For, furthermore, those schools who have not implemented this program and have a high rate of crime and violence, will the department intervene and indicate to this house by when these schools will be subjected to enforce this program to offer all learners and education free from crime and violence. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. Please respond. Chair, I, 
welcome this follow-up question. Uh, I, 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 I just had an answer before. Honorable member says we have plus or minus 26,000 schools. And in the country, we have plus minus 1,500 police stations. You can see that 25,000 and 1,000 police stations in the country. So it, it's, it will be impossible that we can say we deploy one cop per school. But what my answer was saying, we, we have an adopt a cop policy. So when we adopt a cop, it's impossible that we can have one cop per school, one cop per school. We are linking a police station to about a number of schools. Then the police station will then assign maybe one cop into five schools. That's how we, we do it. That's how we work with the department of SAPS. So issues of crime and issues of all the social ills are of course with the department of SAPS. We are, the department of basic education is affected because that, that what is happening in the community is translated into a school. That's why we work together with them and make sure that uh, the protocols are adhered to. That's why we have this school safety framework. And uh, it, when we read it or implement it, it tells that we have to work with the department of uh, police. There's no way where we can do that alone. But our working relation is perfect. We have an MOU, we work together. They have a leeway together with the Department of Social Development when they implement their national master um, drug master plan. That uh, because some of these are influenced by drugs. So on the implementation of that national master track master plan with the Department of Social Development, we work with the Department of Police that when they go to a school, we all go with them. Sometimes we take even the learners, we take them to the juvenile courts so that they see what is happening there, that they must not wish to go there as they see their colleagues or their peers at the, at the courts, at the correctional centers. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The first uh, follow-up question, oh, we're done with number four. Honorable DM, we now come to question 169, asked by Honorable Dutoid. Honorable DM, please respond. Thank you, Chair. This question is about the 5% allowance that we we, we give to learners in 2020 as a result of not having covered the entire curriculum. Then the allowance for a 5% upward adjustment uh, is a maximum of three, in a maximum of three subjects. Place no strain on educators because the question asks how much strain did it give to educators? It did not place any strain to educators or learners in, in 2020, no, 2021, as this was appropriate compensation 
compensatory mechanism to address the loss of teaching and learning time due to COVID-19 related school closures and a disrupted academic year. The 5% adjustment was only applied to learners who were borderline, not to say that, because if a, a learner has drastically failed, even if you put that 5%, the learner will not pass. But there will be learners who will want, who, when you give that 5%, the learner was just in the border that can pass. Then we put that 5%, not in all subjects, of course, only three subjects. Then uh, the learners made it. Then the, the next question was that, are we going to do it in 2021? 2020 and 2021, in the Department of Basic Education, it is taken as the same year because the same disruptions of 2020 overlapped to 2021. If they did not cover the entire curriculum in 2020, and then now they are in 2021, they expected to cover the entire curriculum and the work that has not they have not covered in the previous year. It will be very, very difficult. That's why we are saying even this year, that 5% uh, upward adjustment will still be applicable, but on the borderline learners and the three subjects. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The first uh, follow-up question is from Honorable uh, Dutoit who's on a virtual platform, Honorable Dutoit. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, would you agree that your policy of automatic progression will need to be revisited and taken off the table since it's evident that the current school dropout rate is very high? And that's in spite of the, uh, the, this automatic progression policy. And also the fact that this dropout rate in tertiary educations, uh, institutions, sorry, like TVET colleges are escalating and, and can be partially attributed to this automatic progression initiative. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Detroit. Honorable DM, please respond. Chair, there is no policy called automatic progression in the Department of Basic Education. The progression policy, it has guidelines as to how is it implemented. Remember, we cannot allow a learner to repeat every grade because there's a year, years allocated per grade. So, and some of the learners, to be honest, Chair, we presented to the house that some of the learners, especially we see that progression when they are only progressed to grade 12. And of the grade 12 learners, majority of the progressed learners, when they are writing all the subjects, they got distinctions, they got bachelors, and it tells that had you kept, uh, kept that learner at the previous grade, the learner that was going to lead to the dropout. The progression policy addresses the issue of dropout because learners become frustrated when their peers have moved to another grade and a special phase. So we're not, it's not applicable to every grade. It's applicable to a phase. We have four phases in the Department uh, of Basic Education. So we have a number of years to, for a learner to be in that phase, then we progress the learner to the next phase. So it does not lead to dropouts. Instead, it leads to encouraging learners, but it comes with guidelines. It's only administered to learners who come to school every day, 
do their homework, do everything. But when they have to write their exams, then they find themselves not passing. And yet during the school-based assessment, they pass. But on the final examination, they don't. Then at a particular time, when you finish your phase, then we move you to the next level. And it helped big time. Uh, those who were in, uh, in grade 12 and those who passed grade 12, uh, because of this process, they thank the department every day. Thank you, Chen. Thank you, Honorable DM. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Lehihi. It's on the virtual platform. Honorable Lehihi. Thank you, Chair. Karale Papa Lens Lena promotion and progressing policy. I'm a Maduoka five percent. Putlisa who capella mulawana or two. Hot a five percent. It's nearly to a mohudim her policy. Essence elinting ya progression. Calibo. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable uh, DM, please respond. Thank you, Chair. I just explained now that the progression policy works in a phase. But the 5%, we only implemented it for two years if this next year things will change. Uh, but if things will remain the same, we'll sit down and review and look at the 5%. It's not a policy, but it's just, it's, it's a decision taken by the department to say, no, for those learners who could have an, an opportunity to pass, but due to the curriculum not having been covered as a whole, they did not make it, but they are short of minor percentages, then we put the 5%. But the progression policy chair is applicable to a phase and it's a policy and it has not yet been uh, reviewed because as things stand, we see that this policy works because we see it in the phase that they have been promoted to and the final phase of FET where they pass with distinctions. So we'll, what has been reviewed, which we, we saw that it leads to, to the dropout was the MEO, the multiple uh, examination opportunity. That one we dealt away with because schools were not following the, the policy properly. They made it to be pass one, pass all. Then it catches with the learners at grade 12. Then when we say, okay, they write three subjects, we're going to help them the following year. Then school, some schools, they don't even help those learners. Then we felt that for the schools to be able to implement the policy in a strict manner, let them, uh, let us stop the multiple op examination opportunity. But that has been replaced by, uh, what is that, Tetibanga uh, or second chance, the second chance that has been open for all the learners who have not completed their metric. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable TM. The third follow up question is from Honorable Labuskarne was in the house. Thank you very much, um, Honorable House Chair, Honorable Deputy Minister. I sincerely hope that these added 5% to three subjects does not imply uh, a 25% pass rate in the end. 
Minister, but what I would like to know is, do you have proof that the domino effect of such a practice will not be negative on class sizes and learners who find it hard enough as it is to catch up with the teaching time due to a lack of internet and or technology? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Abuskakne. Honorable uh, DM, please respond. Chair, we currently, as a department, we don't assess our learners based on internet or technology. That's why, because we, in South Africa, we live in two worlds. So what we, we treat our learners as if we live in one world. We believe in what teachers taught the children in class. Uh, whether there will be those who benefit from whatever because they are living in an unaffluent and affluent areas and schools, we, we, we don't just say one size fits all. We say we believe in a teacher covering the entire curriculum in front of the learners, teaching the learners and the learners pass. So we work also on the recommendations of the teacher because they say, by right, this child is supposed to be passing. I don't know what happened, but maybe because we did not have sufficient time to do revision because of the time that was consumed by uh, the COVID-19 lockdown, the, especially the hard lockdown of from March 2020. That one has affected learning and teaching. So we are not saying there will be those who got an opportunity to be taught. Yes, we are striving as the department, but we, will work, we are working with the Department of Communications and other stakeholders, partners that are working with us from uh, the telecommunication industry to make sure that all our schools gets, get connectivity. But if the connectivity is at school and at home is not there, still, those learners in townships and rural villages will still be disadvantaged. That's why we, we, we believe in what the teacher has taught the learner. So the 5% as things then chair does not disadvantage or make learners to drop out or, or what, to get an unnecessary or untrue gains. But we feel that it's what they, was, they, they should deserve after having lost time of learning and teaching. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable TM. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Malika. Uh, thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Does the department have an idea how big this pool of learners who benefited from the, this adjustment was in relation to the number of students that have passed. Thank you, Honorable Malika. Honorable DM, please respond. Thank you, Chair. The Department of Basic Education, as you know that we operate nationally, we may not have, currently, we may not have the statistics uh, that indicates the extent of the benefit across all schools and learners in the country. Given that uh, this adjustment chair uh, is, a recent in, uh, is recently introduced and the school administration system that we call SASMs 
has not been programmed to capture such information because it's like I indicated that it's not policy, it's a decision that wanted to cap the high failure rates uh, so that the system cannot capture that, that, that adjustment. Only the adjusted marks that will be captured on the SASMs. Uh, for chair for 2020, 2022, SASMs, if we still continue living with COVID-19, SASMs will be programmed to capture both original mark obtained by the learner and the adjusted mark, and the DBE will then be in a position to report on the number of learners who benefited from this adjustment, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. Honorable DM, we now come to question 177, asked by Honorable Christian. Honorable Laboskarten is standing in for Honorable Christian. Honorable DM, please respond. Thank you, Chair. The question says, how does the department plan to mitigate against the destructive impact of load shedding? Uh, to me, this question is similar to the first question, but uh, I will respond because it's a standalone question, but the answers are almost the same as those ones that we are, we had discussions with ESCOM, they promised us, but at some stage when we gave them the huge number of the exam centers, which are in almost all the villages and townships, etc. They said it was difficult for them to cap the load shedding in our schools. So what they promised us, because uh, uh, we have about 6,800 centers so that we're using to, 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 to write. So they said it's difficult, but they promised us to say they will assist us on the 195 marking centers and the 37 capturing centers. However, it needs to be noted that not all of these sites are under ISCOM's direct supply. It would appear that the larger number of these sites fall under the different municipalities. Uh, DBE and provincial education departments are thus in the process of engaging with the with Department of Cogta. Remember, we cannot talk with all municipalities at the same time we talk with municipality through COGTA to, to, to make sure, like I indicated earlier when I responded to the other question that some municipalities take advantage that now they know that we're at our weakest point, then they switch then for the department to pay. So the electricity dependent question papers, as I indicated earlier on, like your CATS, computer application technology and IT have been successfully administered including the sign language, as I indicated, and the dates that I given earlier on that uh, uh, paper two has been written of the sign language as a home language on the 23rd of November, and paper three will be written on the 30th of uh, November. So, but generally, CATS was written on the 19th and 20th October, as I indicated earlier on that. At that time, check, low trading was not rife. <laughs> If it wasn't there, it was not right. But we know that there may be other instances that might have disturbed due to electricity, of course, some learners. So we, we put 
there's a paper that has been set aside for CAT and IT to be written on the 7th of December. The DBE will continue to do its best to ensure that the candidates write the examination under the most conducive conditions by engaging with COCTA, SALGA, and ESCOM. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The first follow-up question will be from Honorable Labuskahne, standing in for Honorable Christian. Honorable Labuskahne. Thanks so much. Thank you, DM, for the question, uh, for the answer. Um, you, we, we, we really had a lot of questions on the whole thing of load sharing and, and schools. And I understand that you are a little bit um, frustrated in saying that, um, you know, the different schools are in different municipalities and all these things. The matter of the fact is that some of our learners will have to learn at candlelight and so on. We also know that in 2019, uh, matric exam was interrupted by load sharing and, the, and, people, and learners had to rewrite. Re, um, and we also know that the qualifications regulator, Umlasi, has recently also urged the department to speak to ESCOM to come up with alternative measures to avoid any impact on the matric exams. Now, Deputy Minister, what I really would like to know is, you gave a lot of reasons and situations and circumstances that makes it difficult. You've mentioned one solution on the 7th of December. I would like to know, in the talks that you had with all these people that you've mentioned, what are the solutions? Are there any more solutions than only the one that you indicated for the 7th of September, of December? Something like, such as thousands of young people's future is at risk every year at the end of the year during matric exam, exams. I'm sure ESCO can come to a solution not to have load shedding over that time. Something like that, DM. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable DM, please respond. Chair, the solution that the, the department has is to engage ESCOM. I think the issues of ESCOM is the country issues. Uh, but because we, and they have history, Chair, and it has political history, which we don't want to enter into. Uh, because uh, I don't want to make myself a scientist or a researcher who would say that, uh, remember, if you can count from 1994, only two major things were built by ESCOM, Gusile and the, 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 the other one. So, but when you look at the 80% or 75 or 80% of the South Africans who did not have connectivity before 92, it tells that the system is not enough to cater for all the people. So we must give ESCOM a chance to study and get exactly what is it that is doing. President was, is still responding to parliament today. Uh, he's speaking about alternative energy. I think that is exactly what is going to help the country on the alternative energy. So we are saying, I said earlier on that we, will encourage our schools and provinces 
to get an alternative electricity for, for, for schools. Uh, we know what we have in the country, though it's expensive and we have limited resources, we may not afford, but what we can do best for now is to Bishop Schwartz of all our schools, that please, when our learners are writing, ESCOM, give them a chance. But our learners are writing in every village, like I, Honorable Lauskahan says, yes, and it's true. <laughs> they live in every village, in every township, in every town, every city, we have learners. So we cannot say, now spare this community. If ESCOM has to spare, has to spare the entire country. So let's help ESCOM all of us because this is not ESCOM's problem alone. It's the problem of the country. Just imagine one day, Chair, if the country can just come to a total uh, shutdown of electricity. Because now it's good as we point fingers to point fingers to ESCOM, but we must also come with solutions as to how best can we help ESCOM. Because if we do this criticizing and criticizing one day, we'll find ourselves in the dark and uh, will have no solution at that time. But I'm saying as basic education, we depend on COCTA, we depend on ESCOM, we depend on municipalities to make sure that our children, all of them, it's us who studied with a candle. We don't want our children to have that very horrible experience of studying with a candle. You know very well, you, Chairperson, you studied not even a candle, just a, a, a firewood. That's what you used you personally to study. So, but we don't want to subject our children to that. We are trying our best as basic education on our and uh, we will make sure that uh, we continue engaging ESCOM. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Gillian. Uh, also the virtual platform, Honorable Gillian. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, let me thank the Honorable DM for the way in which he's handling this questions and load shedding. As you know, DM, load shedding affects all learners, especially our matric learners during this period of the year when they are busy with the exams. It is largely DM, the poor and those learners living in rural areas who have no or any other means of mitigating against the disruptive, disruptive nature of load sharing. I don't have a question because my question was already answered. Um, House Chairperson, but let me also take the opportunity then to applaud the department for taking all the steps to engage with ESCOM and, and other stakeholders to make sure that our learners get the opportunity to, to do the exams under extreme difficult circumstances. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Gillian, Honorable TM. If you maybe you can comment, it was just uh, commenting what we are doing as a department, Honorable TM. Thank you, Chair. We, we, I really appreciate that some members understand. Like I say, it's yeah, not a, a departmental problem. It's a societal problem. 
and uh, we we can like in the, as a department we are i spoke of alternative electricity uh, i spoke about generators that schools can have generators but our children will not take those generators home our children after if the school is light because it has a generator when they get out at 11 o'clock midnight going back to the village it will be dark and they will be subjected to other social ills which will be worse than having darkness at home. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Honorable DM. Uh, the third follow-up question is from Honorable Malika that I will be fighting for, for Honorable Ngwezi to pay some bonus, standing in for Honorable Ngwezi. Honorable Malika. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jose. Honorable Deputy Minister, are there alternative plans to provide for a second opportunity for students in case the impact of the load shedding becomes completely disruptive in some communities, especially in the rural areas? If not, why not? And if so, what are the further details? Thank you, Hobson. Thank you, Honorable DM. Please respond. I expected Honorable Malika Chair to say this question has been answered because all my interaction were answering that question that in the event a child comes late because of load shedding, the child will be given an opportunity to write examination. So <laughs> it's my phone disturbing me. My apologies. Let's hope it's not ringing from you. If it's ringing from you next time we are in Cape Town, the entire NCOP will be having lunch from you. Thank you, Chair. So I'm saying there, there can be no instance where a child is disadvantaged, especially if the cause is ESCOM, the cause is all the other things that are affecting the community. We will not disadvantage learners. They will be given a, a second chance. Let's say you miss the entire paper because you were delayed you will be given an opportunity to write that paper. If you miss the entire examination, you will be given an opportunity to write the examination. So if you came late, you will be given additional hours to complete your examination. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable TM. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Arnold, who's in the house. Honorable Arnold, your mic. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Deputy Minister, the class of 2021 shall have to deal with a double blow of COVID-19 disruptions as well as ESCOM's rolling blackouts, which will also have an impact on learners' exam preparations. Although you have made mention that there will be minor uh, impact, but what assistance if any was and are being provided for students whose exam preparations at home are affected as most parents do not have the means to have generators at home. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable DM, please respond. Chair, in this particular instance, uh, they may be affected by maybe failing the examination. They will 
be surely, surely given a second chance in May, June. They will write in May, June. Those that will be affected, because we'll analyze the, 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 the subjects. As, as we mark, we analyze. And after marking the results, before we issue them, we analyze them. And we can see that, okay, this class, as compared to, remember, if you can compare the results from 2019. 2019, we said that was the best year for grade 12 learners. 2020, we expected them to go down. Instead, they improved. The quality improved dramatically, drastically. Then in 2021, now we know how to compare. In 2020, they were affected by COVID alone. 2021 is COVID and uh, load shedding. Then now, as we analyze the results, it will tell that, okay, now the results dropped because of this, then we'll see. And they will also, we know the days when there was lockdown, we recorded those days. Then we, we, we analyze the results. We see that, oh, these learners were affected. Then they will be given a second chance, but I'm not saying they're going to write in December, January, they are going to write in May, June examination. We'll find a way with the provinces to support them that uh, they prepare for the examination. But our communication with ESCO will not stop. Our communication with uh, Salga and, 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 and Cocta will not stop, will continue. And at the same time, to assist schools to buy generators for, for, to assist learners that there should be no time that there's no electricity at a school. We'll continue that, but it cannot be done one day it's a, it, that will be a process. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. Honorable DM, we now come to question 184, asked by Honorable Nchabele. Honorable DM, please respond. The question, Chair, is whether in light of the, the fact that main main objective of the accelerated school infrastructure, ACD, is to eradicate the basic safety norms, backlog. Uh, this program achieved its objective. If not, A, number one, what are the challenges that are currently being experienced? B, what measures have been put in place to resolve these such challenges? If so, what are the relevant details? Chair, the answer is yes. The Accelerated School Infrastructure Development Initiative has made major progress towards meeting the objectives. The sub-program focusing on the replacement of inappropriate structures has already completed almost 80% of the schools. The remaining schools are scheduled to be completed by 2023. The initial need for the replacement of inappropriate structure was 510 schools at the time. Due to rationalization, you find that they say the school is not in good condition. Then when you go there, you want to build the school. They say, ah, the school has only 30 learners. We amalgamate the schools. So due to that amalgamation, the number of the school reduced to 
341 schools. As at, at the 30th of October 2021, a total of 274 of these schools have been replaced, resulting in only 67 remaining. The sub-program focusing on water supply to schools has already completed a project at 88%. The remaining projects also will be taken up to the next financial year. The initial need for water supply was for 1,117 schools. Uh, this need increased to 1,272 schools. As at 30 October, water supply project has been completed at 1,116 schools, resulting in 156 only schools remaining. Another sub-program is sanitation. Remember, it's a school replacement, water, and sanitation. So in this, uh, the initial need was 701 schools. And then the need increased to 1,028 schools that needed sanitation. And as at 30 October 2021, the sanitation project has been completed at 915 schools, resulting in only 113 that are remaining. Remember, I'm speaking on RCD, not the other programs of uh, sanitation. The challenges that are there is that some schools which were initially on the ACD list are in the process of closing down. We build a school, a state-of-the-art school. Now the number of the learners do not increase because these schools were in the deep rural areas. And now people are moving from the deep rural areas, not because of services or what, because of economic activity. As they move to towns, now they leave those schools as white elephants, yet money has been spent. This is a one of our major challenge. And then some additional schools were identified that were in need of water supply and sanitation. When you think that we've addressed it, it's a moving target. Now other schools are coming up, no water. Because if the community does not have water, the school will not have water. Another challenge, uh, the poor performance by providers, they affect the targets, they to complete projects and eradicate the backlog. Uh, the interruption of construction work by the business forums. So the measures that the department has taken is that uh, the Department of Basic Education canceled projects on a CD list on receipt of written requests from the province as and when the information is received and ongoing monitoring and contract administration to effect the contractual provision. This includes the application of penalties or even termination of contracts, regular engagements with the business forums and the communities where the schools are being built. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable DM. The first follow-up question is from Honorable Nchabele, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Nchabele. Honorable Nchabele. It seemed to be lost. We're not going to wait. We'll move to the second follow-up question. 
That will be the first. That is Honorable uh, Debrain. Honorable Debrain. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Minister, regarding the basic safety norms backlog, do you realize that there are still hundreds of asbestos school buildings across South Africa and especially in the Free State? And seeing that this poses a serious health risk for students and teachers, will this be investigated and will the eradication of these asbestos buildings be prioritized to ensure the safety of teachers and learners? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Debrain. Honorable TM. Thank you, Chair. I I'm saying the issue of school infrastructure is a moving target. You, you, you think you have addressed it, this side, it erupts on the other side. And even the eradic eradication of uh, the unsafe structures. When you take all your resources that you have to try and address the unsafe, those that you have just implemented because you might not have sufficient resources to, uh, what is that, to maintain, then it becomes a problem. By the time you are there, then erupts another problem of the schools that we've just built and which we did not have money to maintain them, then you must go back and renovate them, which is a, a, a challenge. But the, the, the problem or oh, the solution to this, we assigned all the provinces to come up with a condition assessment of all their schools. That as we know, the condition assessment of schools will be able to know that at which level is this in this province so that when we come in as basic education, we know where to intervene. And even the, 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 the provinces with their budget of infrastructure, uh, the grants, they will know exactly what schools must be attended first. And what we're not compromising, Chair, is the basic services that as we have resources, let's start with basic services. Let's start with electricity, water, and sanitation. That's why we have a program of sanitation, eradication of all unsafe sanitation projects that are there in schools, fencing of schools, electrifying schools, and uh, putting water, digging boreholes in a school. Though, again, it has its own challenges that if the community does not have water and you dig a, a borehole in a school, then the community will come uh, source water from the school. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable TM. The next follow-up question is from Honorable Smith. Smith, who's on the virtual platform. He told me yesterday to take out the age. So I am making sure that the age is out. Honorable Smith. Th thank you, Honorable House Chair. You learn quickly. Um, uh, Honourable uh, Deputy Minister, um, everyone is aware that your national ASIDI has failed to reach any of your initial three-year targets in the last eight years. Could you today, uh, today, this, uh, could you today in this house and the public out there that the uh, that they will uh, that you will uh, be done sorry <laughs> what will be done differently to ensure plain pit toilets as well as asbestos classrooms are eradicated as we see uh, year after year your department's ambition 
to increase ADSIDs, uh, the eyes uh, initial targets, uh, yet your ability to meet these targets are, uh, are dismal. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Honorable TM, please respond. Thank you, Chair. Chair, as I was responding, I think I have covered this. The, the, the school infrastructure, Chair, is, is a moving target. School infrastructure. Even the eradication of the unsafe schools is a moving target. That's why there will be a change on the uh, SIPDI of, of, of every province. There will be a change because what was a priority yesterday changes to be priority number two because a new priority shall have emanated. Yes, we have asbestos classrooms. Initially, even when we came up with the ACD program chair, we were looking at the unsafe structures, but that was overtaken by March schools. Then the, the program focused on March schools. And as it focuses on March schools, in other provinces where in uh, some schools are not necessarily much schools, but are unsafe structures for the learners. And some were schools built by communities not following any uh, structural or engineering work uh, performed by any professionals. So, and now those schools pose a danger to our children. That's why I say our, our target keeps on moving forward and backward, forward and backward. But the, the conducting of the condition assessment of all the schools by provinces, Chair, that is a solution. And as I speak, our provinces have started with the condition assessment of the schools. Now we'll know that we have this category of schools. Then we start with this one, we move. But remember, as you, you wish to start with a particular school, another community is erupting somewhere. And they, as they erupt, they either demand scholar transport, which must come from the same resources. Either they demand a school, it comes from the same resources, which is a challenge. And it does not need some of us to say, yeah, education, what are you doing? What are we doing? It needs uh, that we come together as a collective, as a family of South Africa to say, this is how I feel we can address this. On the pit toilets, we have a program, the SAFE program that we are implementing as a department, addressing the pit toilets. And we believe that by 2023, we shall have eradicated all the pit toilets. But the challenge is, as we think that we have addressed it, then another a, a need to wrap. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, DM. The last follow-up question is from Honorable Matevula, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Matevula. Thank you very much, Honorable Nyambi. Deputy Minister, more than 3,000 schools from six provinces in the country risk failing into pit toilet every day while others from at least 253 schools are without water and 248 schools have no sanitation at all. Which steps have you been taken to eradicate pit toilet 
100% in Lipompo province. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Teura. Honorable DM, please respond. Thank you, Chair. I know this number 300 came from the media. We went back to our provinces to check exactly where does this 300 come from? Because initially, you remember when we launched the program of SAFE, we were given 3,000 schools. And when we went to the provinces now to implement, the numbers we choose, you come to the province, you find that uh -uh, there are toilets in the school or the provinces, we are going to build these uh, projects. Then the number went down a bit to 200 and something. But we went back to provinces. After we've, so, we've seen that article from the television that uh, there are 3,000 schools that do not that have pit toilets, and there are 200 that have zero. Then we went back to provinces, and uh, we are working with provinces to correct the numbers because the process of building new and proper sanitation for schools is ongoing by the Department of Basic Education and the provinces are building. And remember, when we build new schools now, we don't have to build uh, an additional sanitation program because they are covered in the new school. So we are visiting the old schools. That's where we are focusing now. And that program is continuing. And uh, we have a very good story to tell. We'll come to the house to present all the sanitation projects that we have built. Because what was lacking, Chair, was monitoring. Ever since we started working together with the implementing agents to monitor from DBE, and uh, which is led by the DG himself, now we are producing massive numbers. <laughs> of, 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 of uh, sanitation projects in our schools. And uh, it, by 2023, I think this will be history. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Honorable uh, uh, DM. Honorable delegates, that brings us to the end of the question session. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Deputy Minister Dr. Mahawule, for availing herself to take questions in the NCOP. Also to thank the MEC province on the virtual platform, special delegates on the virtual platform, and all of you honorable members for your conduct in focusing on the important subject matter. One announcement after adjourning Passes to those that are using them in 10 minutes will be leaving. Honorable delegates, that concludes the business of the day. The house is adjourned. Thank you. Recording stopped. Thank you.